Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're uh, tuning in for the first time to the Talent Talk radio show, uh, basically how this works is we feature a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. So on this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders and recruiters find the best candidates today. So hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world, and this show really looks to explore those two areas. My guests typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, coach, coaches, authors, uh, just from, from all different types of uh, industries. And typically when I'm out at these different conferences and networking events, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live. But don't forget, you can submit your questions via Twitter right now by tweeting at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, all one word, Talent Talk. And my producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. You can also send us uh, guest suggestions or uh, general suggestions, and complaints can be sent by uh, regular mail. So don't forget, you can also listen to our podcast on iTunes or Android, uh, as well as uh, subscribe to have the uh, uh, weekly show uh, sent to you. We have just over, I think, 47,000 people who downloaded the podcast now as of last week uh, and uh, are regularly downloading it each week, and we really appreciate all of your support. So with that being said, let me get today's show started. My guests uh, are Matthew Perosi, he's a president and CEO of Stellanium Networks, and Mark Mitchell, and uh, trainer and coach at MHN. So Mark will be joining me later in the show, but let's go ahead and get started with uh, with Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Well, good afternoon. Uh, hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for good, having me here. Good afternoon for me, and for you, what, what is it? For me, it is actually here in Bordeaux, France. It is 10.03 at night. Okay, so it's a good evening for you. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's definitely an evening for me. (laughs) Right. Well, by 10, and if I was in Bordeaux, I'm not sure I could do a radio interview, but I'm glad that uh, you're able to do it. So so, uh, tell us a little about yourself, your background, and, uh, of course, your company, uh, Stellinium Networks, and I know you also have a jewelry uh, website advisory group. Yeah, and actually, uh, most of the time, by uh, by this time at night, I do have a glass of wine in front of me. But I figure I, I better stay a little sharp for uh, for the interview. <laughs> and uh, I often, I frequently do have to work um, U.S. hours. Uh, I do have a U.S. company, um, even though I'm I'm over here in France. Let's see, what background about myself? Well, uh, I was born uh, and raised in New Jersey, uh, and I do currently flip flop between. 
my apartment here in Bordeaux and my house in New Jersey. Um, it's kind of ex- exciting, and it took uh, a bit of time to be able to achieve that flexibility, uh, but it's very rewarding. As a professional, I was first online in uh, 1988, and my first website programmed was in 1994, uh, which also in 94 was the year I started my first uh, computer consulting and network installation company. Uh, we served the, uh, the North Jersey area. Uh, and everything was going really good up until September 11th and the subsequent recession, which uh, hit North Jersey really hard. Uh, we had 11 employees at the time, and over the course of nine months, um, I think we lost all of our customers. We were an IT service company at the time, so all of our customers went out of business. Um, we were already dabbling a little bit in website programming, so my uh, partner and I decided to reboot the company as a website programmer. Um, and our first large project was something called New Jersey Singles, and that was back in 2002. Oh, wow. Uh, that was uh, pretty advanced programming for the time. We even had two-way communication with uh, with alpha pagers, so I guess maybe the earliest of mobile sites. A year later, uh, a jewelry organization saw our work and decided to hire us to build a membership website for them. We just continued to regrow the company and ended up with nine employees, but our new corporate structure um, couldn't support our overhead, and we eventually be, uh, came close to financial ruin during the recent Great Recession. Now, I have a new business partner. We have a new company, which you mentioned. It, it's actually um, uh, Stellium Networks Stellium. Uh, with a subsidiary called uh, Jeweler Websites, Inc. Most people don't know about Stellium. Uh, that's really the, uh, the holding company for all of our software and our hardware. It's Jeweler Websites, Inc. that uh, is the customer-facing company. And through that, we have the Jeweler Website Advisory Group, which is our uh, philanthropic organization where we publish a lot of education. And we have Sapphire Collaborative, which is our coaching and website programming and marketing agency that we do work for um, the jewelry industry. So that's a a little bit of my background, other than, uh, you know, my degrees are from NJIT, that's New Jersey Institute of Technology, Computer Engineering, Applied Math, and for fun, Technical Theater. So, Technical theater. There we go. That's me. Well, uh, you, you mentioned uh, you know quite a bit of things, of some ups and downs, and successes and failures, yeah. and uh, you know things you can't are out of your control. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, then what do you think has been your greatest challenge so far? <sighs> My greatest challenge. You know, twenty years in business. That is uh, difficult to think back and try to identify one. But, you know, years ago, I used to, during this, the second incarnation of, of the business, I used to walk around the office in New Jersey, and I would say, how is it that we can't make money? We're not making enough money to support the now regrowing company. We had overhead, and that was quite large. And the uh, as an Internet company, you know, other Internet companies were making money hand over fist, but we couldn't. And perhaps the problem is that we, at the time, and I look back and I, I, I realize this now, and it was a very painful lesson. We didn't know the correct way to balance our technology with employees and with our long-term budget. We weren't an agile enough company. You know, in 2006, that's when I bought my house. Um, I had enough money to buy the house, but I didn't have a uh, enough money to get new equipment. And so we were using old equipment already, and customers were asking us for new stuff that we couldn't handle on the old equipment. So it wasn't until our third incarnation with the new company that I finally figured out how to uh, properly balance um, services, technology, employees, and so that we now have a better balanced uh, relationship. 
I think overall it was just learning that balance that's probably the uh, the, the most difficult thing as an as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took so many years to do about fifteen years. Yeah, and, and what about earlier in your career when you were a CTO? I mean, as a web programmer and technology director, what were some of the challenges that you had to deal with in such a really a fast changing industry at that time? Oof. Yeah, well, I was uh, I, I kind of skipped over that in my background. Uh, I was a the chief technology officer while I was um, still in college, and also while I was an early on building my business. Uh, I worked for my father. Uh, he owned a brokerage firm, and he needed somebody to be the CTO for his for his business, and and he eventually started his own public company and had some uh, really lofty goals. Uh, all leading up to like a dot-com crash. We were in a time when uh, technology requests were coming in. Um, people were coming to me, either principals of, of the corporation, brokers were coming to me saying, we need to do this. And I would say, well, that's some really great requests, but a little unrealistic with the technology that we have at the time. I mean, I was a computer engineer, so I kind of knew the limitations of what technology could do. And I would say, wow, one day that was possible. And most of the stuff that was being request, requested of the World Wide Web was like nothing more than vaporware, I guess. There was always some new game that some other company was, was working with and, you know, new technology. And somebody would walk into my office and say, let's copy it. And we didn't have our own R&D budget at the time, so we couldn't come up with our own ideas. So a lot of times I felt like I was chasing after plans that other companies came up with. Then fast forward 10 years later, I wasn't working for my father anymore, but in 2007, I knew that what customers were asking me for was possible, but yet they were not willing to to pay for it when they came in with uh, some really great requests. Right. So that, but that was at the beginning of the recession, and excess cash was uh, was evaporating at the time. So, you know, maybe looking at your uh, work now and, and what you do as an entrepreneur, you certainly have the opportunity to establish a type of culture that you you want conveyed, and you know, it, you talked about having these kind of different iterations of your company or different kind of pivots or changes, and so you, you have that uh, ability to say, well, this worked and this didn't, and uh, really start to formulate maybe what what's the most important balance there. So, what do you think is important for your team to understand about your overall company culture? I mean, what do you try to convey to your team about you know what that culture really stands for, or what it's known for? You know, when I was working with my father's um, brokerage firm, we had a lot of employees back then, and he and he had a very strict way of of um, managing the office, and it was a it was a method that I never really liked, and I, I learned a lot of uh, things about what not to do in, in terms of running an office. When I had my employees working all in one location, because we're decentralized now, um, but when we were working in all one location, I always wanted them to know that that they could be who they want to be. They can dress the way they want to be. We never met clients, so they had the, the flexibility to set their own schedule. I mean, I had one employee who would frequently come in in her pajamas. Nobody cared. We all had a great time. Customers never saw us. We didn't do video conferencing at the time, so that was okay. Uh, so they had that freedom, and it was important for them to realize that I knew they weren't perfect, and I wanted them to understand that you know, in all the years that I was in business, I'm not perfect. So they were allowed to make mistakes, uh, and I wouldn't come down too hard on them. And also I wanted them to point out when when they thought um, I was making a mistake, although I would usually say, well, can you give me some evidence as to why? So we had this open permission, but we also had my business partner at the time, um, 
working through uh, the 2000s and up into 2008, she had a very uh, strict method of also wanting to run the office, and it kind of clashed. So I, I had more of a open and embracing, and she also and she wanted to be um, uh, you know more stern with with employee management. Right now, the, the culture has changed to the point where, since we don't work in the same office, uh, we have this open communication we try to keep all day long, either with chat, telephone, or video conferencing. So we don't get to know each other on a personal level like we did in the past, and we rarely ever meet. But yet, we try to keep those lines of communication open, and we still joke with, with each other. But it is a very different dynamic being diversified like we are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And certainly having that type of a scenario you have those kinds of people and you're like you said decentralized or people kind of working virtually uh, that really makes it so much more important you have the right person in there you have great people that are able to do the job without that sort of overbearing uh, presence or manager micromanagement Mm -hmm. so are, are there rules that you kind of have followed when it comes to recruiting you know top people to work for you knowing that that kind of different environment Ooh, uh rules well you know, I wish I had learned. I wish I could say that I knew how to hire people 20 years ago. You know, when I was when I was thrown into the position of, of HR manager working at the brokerage firm, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just simply hiring suits that would walk in the door, sit down, and give their resume. And a lot of times they didn't work out. So that was my first experience with it. Again, a lot of mistakes there. And then with my own, with my own business, uh, I initially hired people... Uh, at a convenience where they happened to be at the right place at the right time and I said hey you want a job Um, you seem like a nice person and and I would put them in a position only to end up being stuck with them as I matured you know because I started the business when I was uh, 23 24 as I matured I started to realize that my customers were also maturing and I needed to have more standards so I did put some standards in place and, and I prefer to hire a developer when I hire developers, it's been a while since I've hired one, but I prefer to hire them right out of college before they learn some bad programming practices so that I can kind of teach them and say, listen, I have a little more experience with programming, and here's how you should really do your coding, and here's how you should be thinking and structuring databases. But when it comes to hiring customer service reps, you know, I originally thought that I could use the same technique. Well, let me hire a young customer service rep, and they'll learn on the job. And I've made some bad mistakes there. And I've finally come to the realization over the past few years that I can't hire inexperienced customer service reps because these are the people who they talk to the customers. They need to have adequate communication skills. They need to be able to think on their feet when talking to a customer. The customers that we have, they are business owners. They're entrepreneurs who have years of experience and have limited time. And I don't want to put them in a situation where they're talking to a customer service rep who is saying, well, can you explain that to me? Uh, I suppose the best example I can give is, uh, you know, we, everybody always gets, like, cold calls or sales calls. And Verizon, big telephone company on the East Coast, I'm not sure if it happened in California. Oh, yeah. You know, we might get a phone call from a Verizon sales rep saying, oh, I need to speak to the person uh, about your Verizon bill. I've had customer service reps who have said, hey, Matt, um, somebody's on the phone about the Verizon bill. We use voice over IP ring central, so that's obviously a sales call. And if you can't identify that, then you know, that just shows some inexperience there. The people that I look for now are those who, who can think on their feet, can realize that 
There are areas of business that uh, their own personal experience they can bring and they can have good conversations with our clients while at the same time providing the valid, uh, valuable customer service that we offer. Mm-hmm. So that's what I look for right now for, for customer service reps. But it was a while before I, I figured that out, and I don't have a specific. You know, I usually do my initial recruiting by asking if anybody knows someone who's recently out of a job so I can try to get somebody back on their feet um, before uh, they fall into the unemployment and perhaps a depression. Um, but if I don't find anybody that way, then, you know, I will use Craigslist or, or search through LinkedIn. But I'm very, very, very careful with uh, how I do that now. And so would you then maybe categorize your management style as more leadership style, as more kind of laissez-faire, you know, kind of, a, you know, once you've identified them, trained them, got them what they need, that you, you send them on their way? Or do you, would you categorize it differently? No, 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 no. I, w- I wouldn't say that um, laissez-faire with uh, my management. Uh, I, I have had, I've gone through several different management styles, and I've gone from being really, really strict because that's what I initially learned to now being quite open. But we do provide a lot of training videos. We provide um, kind of a regiment of procedures for for doing things. And it took, my, you know, my current business partner was also my employee for 10 years before it became a business partner. And he and I worked through uh, a lot of different procedures. And together we figured out the best ways to do things. So we've set up regimented procedures for the work we provide. And we make sure that that gets followed. Uh, but at the same time, we uh, also want to make sure that the employees uh, they have their they have freedom they they have freedom to to grow freedom to learn more if they want to and we also don't try to teach them everything all at once because uh, I have discovered that trying to teach somebody all book work all at once in one training session or over a week they don't absorb it all so I let them learn in stages as they need to learn new things. Mm-hmm. Really feels like. Your company and what you're doing are you're really kind of in a lot of different areas. I mean, you're they're all kind of connected, but you're kind of have some some maybe synergies or focuses, and but you know slightly different areas. You're not just one thing that your company's doing. And so, I'm wondering, you know, is there kind of a way in which you try to really ensure that you're on top of the latest trends? Uh, or even, you know, try to make sure that you're ahead of the curve. You know, how, how do you do that when you kind of have your, you know, your thought processes and your, your company kind of in a couple different areas? That's a, that's a really interesting way to, to put that. You know, the uh, from an outsider's point of view, well, you know, maybe not an outsider, but from from when people look at us, they say, they say, wow, you seem to be doing a lot of different services when really – We've gone from being a website programming company to a consulting company to now I just want to say, you know what, we are here to collaborate with you to help you use all of our combined experience so that you can uh, help uh, improve your business and make it thrive. And that requires us to use a lot of different technology and a lot of different, a lot of different things. Uh, one of the ways that I keep on top of it is that I pay attention to what's happening in the jewelry industry, our focus being jewelry with the Jeweler Websites, Inc. And I look at fashion trends. I look at uh, technology shifts. I read the trade magazines. I attend the trade shows. And I try to pay attention to, to what my customers are talking about. And then we try to figure out solutions for them. 
So, you know, I'll, I'll have my employees say, just pay attention when you're, when you're talking to your, to the customers. If they tell you something that they're having trouble with, let's see if we can identify a fix for it, whether it's in our own software or whether it's something that they need to learn how to better collaborate with one of their suppliers. We're, we're helping them on that level of consulting. So instead of just being one thing, I've realized that we can be a, a much better company. Our customers appreciate us a lot more when we say, hey, you know what, your website can do this, or hey, you know what, we can track your customers in this way. Did you know that you can apply this, this, and this, and you'll have more time, more free time on your hands and a better return on your investment in the long run? Let's give you some ideas. And uh, the customers really appreciate that a lot more because we're pulling so many different facets together. And so however you're delivering it and however you're kind of formulating your company, are there ways, though, in which you try to, you know, really stay on top of, of what's happening? Is it purely from a customer perspective and what they're really pushing uh, for? No. You know what, what? What I haven't mentioned yet is that we own our own server room, and I have the uh, the privilege of having access to uh, to Internet data and customer tracking, the likes of which most other people don't. So I can combine a lot of data from many different websites from across the country that other analysts wouldn't have access to, and I can see trends, and I can put to I can put to use my uh, background in uh, you know back when I used to read stock reports uh, and and do stock trend forecasts uh, as well as my my applied math degree. And I say, all right, well, here's something I think is going to happen. And then we'll either write software for it or we will make some predictions or we will try to put um, some new services in place to prepare our customers for what I think might happen. And some cases it works, some cases it doesn't. And when it works, that's when I will usually uh, try to reproduce the results with another client. Mm-hmm. And then if I can reproduce the results, I'll, I'll then write about it and publish it on our on our JWAG website. Right, right. Well, one of the uh, things that we love asking our, our guests, because uh, we get such unique answers, uh, is I'm wondering what you're reading right now and if you can tell us about that book or books. <laughs> I am reading, for the first time, I'm reading something which is probably uh, not necessarily a business book, but uh, I view it as such. The book is titled How to Be Like Walt, as in Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. And it is an extremely long book. I think it's about 400 pages long. Uh, and it explains the struggles of his early childhood, um, his uh, insights, uh, his stories that made him who he is. Uh, there's points of the books that points of the book that have made me laugh, points that have made me cry, points that have made me realize why Mickey Mouse is such an icon in uh, our society, and and how Walt Disney created him, and how eventually led him in, into being an icon, and, and also how Disney corporation and it ended up being the company that it is today. But it, it provides important insights for me as an entrepreneur uh, who refuses to think about, and it's really been a, a really good read. Normally, I'm reading uh, entrepreneurial books, uh, but this this one it was well worth my time to put into it. Well, I mean, and certainly he's a good case study on uh, success yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, entrepreneurship, innovation. I mean, you could a lot, a lot of words you could really use to describe him and his process. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I know certainly look in those those directions. And I know you mentioned, um, you know, working for your father and maybe his management style was not really in line with with where you wanted to go. So uh, I'm wondering, kind of in all that, that searching here and reading those different books, was there a particular person that maybe gave you the example? 
really maybe showed showed you the way to go or it really had an influence, a real huge impact on your leadership style today that you might identify? Uh, you know, um, my foundation is definitely with my parents. My uh, my parents were divorced when I was very, very young. I think I was two years old. And uh, my mother, uh, I have a sister, uh, and my mother and I, I'm sorry, my, my mother always treated my sister and I equally and always said, okay, well, what I do for one, I do for the other. And every once in a while, she knew she knew something that would make me a little happier and something that would make my sister a little happier. And she would surprise us with the, either a treat or activity or something like that. And from her, I learned that, that uh, I do have to provide equal balance and proper balance to employees, to customers, and to everybody who I'm working with. But from a business point of view, it was my early experience working with my father and seeing how seeing how badly he ran his office and uh, his very poor work ethic. He demanded perfection, but yet he never really understood what it took to get that perfection. So I was kind of on the employee side of the fence in that in that respect, and I was able to see, wow, you know what, this would be so much better or you could get so much more out of the employees if you were to say it this way or if you were to do that. You know, it's taken me years. It has absolutely taken me years to try to get my own management style under control. I'm always trying to improve it, but I have to thank my parents for giving me both a positive and a negative foundation, and then I'm just constantly building upon it with every new, every new thing I learn, every new mistake I make. Um, every new employee I have, uh, and every new customer I work with because I try to look at their problems, learn from the, the mistakes they're making in their own businesses. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's really what this, how this show really uh, came about and was to continue to learn and learn from others and their successes and their mistakes, you know, hopefully delivered to somebody else. So, Matt, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Talent Talk thank Radio so Show. Much. It was a real pleasure having you. and. Uh, now you can go have your glass of wine, and you won't have to worry about uh, slipping up on the show. Uh, so I, I don't. I, you might you might be the farthest one from a radio show. I think we had someone from India. Oh uh, no, we did have Russia. That's right, we did have someone. So a little bit farther. So maybe you get you get yeah, second well, place there for the farthest yeah, call in. I'm. I'm uh, I think I'm nine hours from you. So yeah, about yeah. six seven thousand miles, I suppose. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, appreciate you uh, coming on the show, and we look forward to having you come back, giving us an update uh, somewhere down the line. Thank you very much, Chris. All right. Glad to be here. Mark Mitchell's coming up after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. 
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting either octalkradio.net and clicking on the shows tab or going to talenttalkradio.com and you can see all the shows that are listed uh, and just click away and uh, subscribe. You can even, easiest thing to do is open up your iPhone, your iPad, whatever you have and go to the podcast app and you type in Talent Talk and You'll uh, see us there, and you can subscribe and listen to whatever show you like. Uh, typically, we post the shows about a week or two later after they show up live. So in the in the last year that the show has uh, existed, we've already amassed a huge following. As I mentioned, over 47,000 of you who are, have subscribed and are downloading the shows each week, and we really appreciate it. My next guest is uh, Mark Mitchell. He's the uh, trainer and coach of MHN, as well as an independent coach, speaker, and trainer. Don't forget to tweet your questions live to him right now by sending them to at PeopleG2 and using that hashtag TalentTalk. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. Good to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're currently doing in the area of coaching and uh, leadership training. Uh, yes, I describe myself as a coach, corporate trainer, and uh, psychotherapist. That's uh, originally my background was a psychotherapist, and I was brought into organizations many years ago because of some of the problems they were having and as a result of it, I'm doing more training and coaching. And then uh, currently, like this week, I'm working City of Los Angeles, Palmdale Water District, um, training managers, and then coaching managers who are misbehaving. So that's what I'm doing. Organizations always need people like that to help out with those difficult uh, personalities and it always amazes me. Half the time it's the person, and they shouldn't have hired that person, and now they've got a difficult one they've got to deal with. Or it's not really the person, it's the organization who's <laughs> really uh, failing as well. Do, do you see that, where there's kind of that mix or one or the other, where you know, it's not you know between the person or the organization being the problem? Yes. You know, it's funny because, uh, especially like uh, county, city, state, federal organizations, you have individuals who... Uh, are in those systems sometimes, and they've not been held as accountable in some ways, and um, those organizations are now trying to ramp up or fine-tune, and so they um, have to weed them out more. Right. So I, I see it with, with those traditional ones, and then I also see it in the entrepreneurial. In the entrepreneurial side, it's more um, a sort of fire-ready aim uh, as far as, you know, uh, very passionate about something and trying to launch something, and in the process, they may the passion may get in the way of actually kind of managing people. Right. Well, I know as a coach, one of the subjects that you provide training on is dealing with difficult people. So maybe you mm-hmm. can talk a little bit about what types of things you share, or what are maybe some of the solutions uh, you know for this issue. Well, the first thing is uh, really changing our view of the difficult people to. Uh, difficult behaviors, really, um, that's some of it. One is uh, rather than the person being entirely difficult, their behavior is so that they're not um, pigeonholed too much. Uh, the second thing is really looking at the individual as 
uh, even though they're being difficult, they're trying to connect in some way, and why are they connecting this way? It's because they're ignorant, uh, it's, it's a habit, uh, they're passionate about what they're doing, so it's really trying to view the, the difficult behavior that the person's doing in a, in a different way so that we uh, don't overreact. So that that's probably the most important uh, aspect of it. Uh, and the typical person that I'd say is a, it would be frequently a, a technician, uh, let's say IT or financial, is trying to become a CIO or CFO or is in that role. And they might be good technically at the job, but they're not so good at managing people. So uh, I see that a lot like with engineering companies, that sort of thing. And then frequently what it is is a C-level person that's been in that position for a while that is harassing uh, the individual due to, um, you know, the positions of privilege. So that's sort of typical what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to put it about the difficult behaviors because so often... You know, someone's having a problem with a person, but then other people don't. And so it's these behaviors that kind of come into play. I mean, I can certainly think of some very difficult people. And I would say, hands down, those few people were just difficult people. <laughs> but most yeah. of the everyone else was difficult behaviors. I think that it really nails that right. And it was, you know, getting through... What is the real problem here? Is it a lack of training? Is it a lack of knowledge? Is it a, a, some sort of a conflict or something that you can resolve and make things a lot better? And as opposed to just, well, let's get rid of the person or the, you know, it, right. it, it's, it's a complete waste of time or whatever. Despite what other positive things that that person might be bringing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know I know a person that is um, can be very difficult at times in an organization, but that person is also, you know, incredibly valuable in other areas. And so, you know, oftentimes sure. companies have to weigh those, you know, pros and cons. <laughs> you know. Yes, it, it's funny you should say that because uh, I, I see that it's especially in an organization, uh, in a sales department where you have a very top producer, uh, but they're so aggressive in their sales that they're aggressive with everybody else. And right. They don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg, so to speak. So the other thing I think your point, too, that it's really important is to let them know what you want differently from them. Frequently, they don't even know how to be different or what to do differently. So it's being real clear with them, like, and that's not helpful. This would be helpful. Right. That really rings true. I, I have uh, someone in my organization. I, I won't uh, call them out by name, but um, they'll be lighthearted about this. They're, 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 they're good. But, you know, they have uh, from time to time said, can I give you my opinion? And I would say, you can always give me my opinion. What drives me crazy is you ask me if you, I can give you my opinion. I Just give me your opinion. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't need you to ask permission first. Just tell me. You know, we, just, we just wasted 30 seconds. You know, can I give you my permission? Sure. You know. So... Funny. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Just letting them know what you need, and you know mm-hmm. what I mm-hmm. uh, is really, really big. It's uh, you expect people to act a certain way or to to mm-hmm. provide us a certain interaction. But if we don't communicate what our expectations are, especially if we're in a leadership role, of course it's going to fail. Of course there's going to be frustrations or uh, inaccuracies or lack of communication or what have you. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's really big. Well, uh, one of the more interesting act, uh, aspects that I noticed about your coaching is to work with CEOs and other C-level executives when they've had, you know, kind of complaints against them or, you know, struggling as leaders. So they're really in need of coaching, you know, that kind of last resort, you know, kind of phase. 
So mm-hmm. maybe you can, can you share one or two of those experiences and maybe what the outcome was, um, you know, kind of how, how that plays out? Yeah, well, you know, half of my time is doing training at the site or doing talks at the site, and the other half, they, the individuals are coming to see me, and they come to see me because uh, the organization believes in them and wants to, them to get some sort of leadership development to kind of uh, be a better leader and uh, let these difficult behaviors go. So, you know, frequently they're coming, they, I'm, I'm sort of like a probation officer for them in a sense, that they, they come against their, their will, they're not too thrilled about seeing me more frequently than not, uh, and I have to woo them and win them over. So I'm thinking of a guy right now who, a uh, large company, he's in charge of distribution of their soft goods, and it's a top producer, uh, but he swears a lot of people, <laughs> he's uh he yells at people, and he, he, he can just be mean. And, uh, you know, he was very suspicious about seeing me, of course. And then through the process of coaching, I kind of got him to find some goals he could accomplish in the leadership and the kind of uh, one of the goals was for him to just to calm down. He, he started realizing, you know, I can't live this way because he was that way at work, but he was also that way in his personal life. So mm-hmm. that would be one example I'm thinking of. Yeah, and I imagine you can have people that will recognize the problem and recognize when they mm-hmm. have to change. And I imagine, too, you have those difficult ones, like you said, where maybe what they're doing is what is causing them to be successful, but it's also causing yeah. them to be have a problem. So how do you you know, manipulate that as a person? I mean, I think it was Emerson that said, you know, our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. Yeah. Um, and I've always loved that one because there are these people that can be really obtusely, you know, that whatever it is about them, it's just so them, you know what I mean? They have this one characteristic Mm -hmm. that's just very, very obtuse, but that tends to be a problem for them as well. Um, you know, and you have people who are very well-rounded and they're kind of good at a lot of things, but not not really spectacular or anything. And that's also their problem, you know, because Mm -hmm. they're not, they don't specialize. They don't really, you know, take risks and become, you know, shine in a particular area. So I imagine that could be difficult to really get people to identify that. And at the same time, be able to work on that without taking away from what's making them successful uh, and paying right. the bills, right? Yeah, and that's one of the keys. Probably why I'm different than a lot of other people's approach, I take a, a strength um, uh, approach, really looking at their strengths. I, I pretty much complement them on their strengths, and then what could they do differently or what others would say they could do differently rather than trying to attack them for what they're doing wrong. Uh, you know, sort of indirect way, I'm challenging what they're doing wrong, but it's usually more indirect or sometimes it's direct. I'll say, well, listen, is what you're doing working? And just to get them to think about it. Right. And, uh, right. no, okay, want to try something different? Well, I, I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really looking at their strengths and educating them what they could do differently and help them think about it. Yeah, it's a great question to ask someone, you know, if it's working, because we've even had that with clients. You know, they'll tell us all these different things, and then, but, you know, they don't want to change something, and then you just add, well, is it working for you? Well, no, no, it's not really working. I mean, then you, mm-hmm. you know that's why they've called you, but they haven't really mm-hmm. thought about it in that way, uh, that there's right. something that's just not working. And they know then that need for change kind of comes in a little bit, a little bit harder. Mm-hmm, yes. So, so you mentioned, you know, kind of half the time with, with, with that group, you know, half the time you're doing some, you know, leadership development or training. So, you know, what kind of tools do you use or what do you find effective when engaging employees in that leadership development area? You know, like, what, what do you hope to kind of see the end result or, 
you know, mm-hmm. what participants take away, you know, for their own kind of roles in leadership? Well, the, the first thing is I, I am very aware that that first meeting is really crucial to uh, capitalize on it, set the tone to kind of win them over. So one of the things I like to use as a tool is uh, Strength Finder. Um, you know, the Gallup organization has a, a studied strength more than, than anyone in the world. And so I uh, usually ask them to go to strengthfinder.com and do the assessment to find out what their strengths are. So that's one of the first things that usually engages them. And then I'll look at their behavioral work styles. Uh, there's some a test that I like to use for that to identify how their, what their work style is. And then I use a, what's called the solution focus assessment, looking at more uh, detailed uh, about what their strengths are. I will ask them questions like on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being willing to do whatever it takes to make a small change, what's your willingness, what's your confidence, and then what will raise it half a point. So the assessment tools usually are going to be the strength finder, uh, the behavioral work styles assessment, and then the um, solution focus assessment. Yeah, and you know the the second two, um, what we haven't talked about in the show, but the strengths finders we have mentioned many many mm-hmm. times in the show. Many guests have have talked about that. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we do it in our own organization. It's a really uh, fun exercise, and it's enjoyable to to, mm-hmm. to to really get the dialogue even going. Just as a just as a straight, you know, team building exercise, is to look where as an organization are we strong, or where as a department are we right. strong. And the other interesting kind of component out of that too is to take it and say, well, where are we weak? You know, if if we if you plot all those out and you say, hey, we've got twenty people in this department and we're all really good at these things, but yet we all seem to be like no one has a strength in these six or seven things. Mm -hmm. Is that is that relevant or not? You know, maybe it's not if you're in sales or you're in engineering. Maybe those things that aren't strengths or whatever, but maybe it's geez, maybe our next hire needs to have one of those strengths to really right. help make the team better. Um, right. You know, so I, I, we, we love that one, and it's super cheap, too. I think it's a you know, few dollars yeah. or something to, like, get your own assessment for the top five. And I think five is yeah. all you need. I know you can get the 37 after that or something. Yeah. But for yeah. me, I think the five, the five is a good starting place yeah, for five, a few months. Yeah. And there's a really great videos that you can watch – I think they're on YouTube mm-hmm. once you've identified your strength and it gets somebody talking as saying I'm a, whatever the strength is and it, it really yeah. explain it. And people seem in my organization really got it when they watch the videos. Um, sure. And then they went, okay, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. And of course, you're not one thing at any one time. We all kind of, you know, shift and change and situational. And But you have those strengths and to know when, when it's time for you to have that strength, you need to just to really kind of live it. You need to be it. And not be shy about it. When it's time for you to do that thing, you do it because that's what you're good at, right? And when it's not, right. let some step out and let somebody else do their thing. And yeah, that, that, that can be really be great. Getting back to the uh, the, the CEO uh, component, you know, and looking at when they're being ineffective in their own work, you know, from a leadership standpoint, uh, what, what effect do you think it has on the overall company culture or employee morale? Oh, I, I think it sets the whole tone of an organization, how the the leadership is handling it. Um, you know, I tend to believe that it trickles down. You know, sometimes I'm brought into organizations, and let's say mid-level, when I mean you'd be brought up in a, a higher level, mm-hmm. because the intervention that really needs to happen needs to be at a higher level. But let's say the CEO doesn't see themselves as having a problem or that the message that they're sending. So in most organizations I go to, 
I certainly will be coaching the individual who they want, and then when I'm doing presentations, but sometimes they bring me in for an organization like a, like a, a yearly retreat or staff development or some strategic planning. And uh, let's say a, a, a HR person or another C-level individual bring me in to deliver a message to the CEO that uh, they politically can't do without getting fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. they bring me in as the ninja, so to speak. And, and I, I know this usually, and I've seen it, you know, I, I'll say, well, listen, we, we can't say something, but can you go in this area a little bit because we're having that problem with our boss? Right. I said, sure, you know, without embarrassing him or, you know, humiliate him in any way. It's so one of the advantages I have is, in a way, I, I can't be fired, so to speak, or, it's, it, you know, I have other business, so I don't need it as much, so I can come and deliver messages politely and respectfully that the CEO can hear differently uh, because it's sometimes coming from a stranger. Right. Well, when you first said that, the immediate thing that reminded me of was when somebody hires somebody to come and help them with their kids. You know, because our kids are misbehaving, our kids are a problem. Yeah. And ultimately, what you end up needing is counseling for the parents. The parents need oh, yeah. help in how to handle these situations better so that the kids will ultimately, you know, respond better. And so, you know, bringing you in, I'm sure, in certain situations is similar to that. You, you, know, you come in the middle and you're saying, well, these people are responding a certain way and acting a certain way because of how upper management is reacting and responding right. and everything. So, right. yeah, it, yeah. It's, 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 it's fascinating how, you know, pe- people tend to want to, the problem's over there, go fix it over there. And, you know, and really yeah. the problem is much higher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it usually is. So how do the best companies then effectively communicate? You're, 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 you're coming in, you're seeing some that aren't doing well, but I'm, I'm sure with mm-hmm. your trainings and stuff, you probably are seeing a lot of good examples. And so how do you think those, those good examples are effectively communicating their values to their employees, their culture, and, and really keeping you know keeping you from having to come in and solve a problem? What do you think some of those basic tenets are? Well, I think one of the things is for any, uh, when I've seen the best ones, and, I, and it fits for the worst ones, too, in the sense that uh, when I see a CEO or I see a manager who comes into work in the morning and what, it, what he does what I call walk the floor, in other words, they take time to connect with employees from the receptionist to whoever. In other mm-hmm. words, they come in the door and they say, good morning, good morning, and make these what are called bits for connection. And when I see those leaders get much more loyalty from their employees in a, in a way that really uh, impresses them. The example I'm thinking of is uh, John Tyson of Tyson Chickens. I met him uh, at a family business conference at UCLA, and John, and he's been a friend of that one time had an alcohol cocaine problem, and went through treatment, and he did well. But one of the things he did that really impressed me is, uh, and, and this is, I think, the largest manufacturer of chicken you know, products, I think, in the country, he goes down to where they package the kid, uh, chickens and I guess where they, I don't know, pluck them or something. And that, the conveyor belt. And he puts on the, the white robe with them and he helps them. And he, he works with the common workers. Now, they know he's not plucking chickens all day <laughs> and doing that. But the fact that he takes the time to just connect, you know, with your average worker inspires them. So I would say that's the best practice. Frequently, the manager I see and don't do that, that's the ones that have problems. Mm-hmm. They're not 
connecting that, or the organizations, uh, like the C-level guy I was talking about who was in charge of distribution, the corporate headquarters folks would never come out and visit because the distribution company, uh, distribution center, was far from the corporate organization. So they would never come out. So this, the distribution center felt like they were the lone wolf out there, and like nobody cared. That was one of the things I instructed them to do was to visit with them uh, to make those things, to make those connections. So it's really just making uh, the effort to connect. Simple that. Yeah. Well, uh, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, because uh, we get such great answers, and I'm hoping you have one, and that is, okay. w- what are you reading right now, and can you tell us about it? Well, uh, what I'm reading right now is, is a little more intense. It's a, it's a book called War and Soul uh, by Ed Tick. I, I also, as a more of a philanthropic volunteer, work with the Los Angeles Veterans Collaborative, and um this is a uh, umbrella organization which tries to manage veteran services in Los Angeles, Orange County, and San Diego. So I'm reading this book, War and Soul, which is basically how soldiers currently and in the past have gotten through challenges, how they recover from what's called moral injury in addition to distress. So that's currently what I'm reading. So um, it's kind of a little on the intense side. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, we love the variety, and we always... Uh... <laughs> All of our guests, we, we post, uh, you know, we do a little recap in a couple of weeks on our mm-hmm. blog about the show, and we talk about uh, mm-hmm. the, the different things that you talked about that will be interesting to us, and uh, we also make sure we include all those book links so our, our uh, sure. listeners can, can check it out if they're interested so they don't have to try to write it down or scribble it down. But right. Mark, I really appreciate you uh, being our guest today. Uh, we look forward to having you come back, and if you have any running into any uh, good uh uh, leaders out there, uh, please send them our way. We'd love to, to have them share their wisdom uh, with all of our listeners as well. All righty. Thank you very much. All right. That's about the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guest, uh, Matt Perosi, calling in from Bordeaux, France, and also Mark Mitchell. Tune in next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, to hear Suzanne Coons, the Director of Talent Acquisition and Organizational Development at Vans and Reef, and also Ted Devine. He's the CEO at uh, Inseron. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OCTalkRadio.net.